What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth, and I'm your lovely host. For today's episode, we are diving into one of my favorite topics, believe it or not. It is personal finance and all things saving versus paying off debt versus investing and all that fun stuff. And this is something that I was really excited to bring on for the show and something I do want to be able to talk more about, although I wouldn't say I am an expert or have any expertise. I do, I will admit, I indulge in a lot of personal finance um, books and podcasts and and I, I just, I love it, you know, and I think it's always been a fun journey in learning how to be savvy with my own finances and there's definitely a level of confidence that comes with that Um, I think both in spending and saving and making money as well as just my overall personal confidence so highly recommend if you are looking to up level in different parts of your life I think finance especially for us girls just being candid I think that uh, definitely changes the game So for today's guest, I have on Brie. She is a personal finance expert and the founder of Cash Confident. And through Cash Confident, she teaches women how to build wealth and financial freedom. And her methods are holistic and effective because they address the root cause of common money problems. And so if you are a listener in your 20s right now, I'm sure this episode will be very helpful. So I hope you guys are ready to take some notes and can save this episode, share it with a friend. That being said, let's welcome Brie to the podcast. All righty. Well, Brie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm very excited to talk about, honestly, one of my favorite topics, which is money and finances. And I don't get a chance to talk about it a lot on this podcast because I don't feel like I have the expertise. I just take a lot of wisdom from people who've done it well, and then I apply it myself. But like I told you before we started, I always want other women to hear it from other people who've done it well, who have certain patterns and strategies locked down. So of course, thank you and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And I'm really excited because I Love it when I get to work with people who set themselves up early from a young age around their finances. It's just such a juicy, juicy place to be. Yeah. Can you start with just a little bit on your transition into Cash Confident and how you got into this and a little bit of your backstory with like finance? I did read a little bit on your website, but if you could share in your own words. 
Sure. So after college, I worked at my local boys and girls club in the nonprofit sector for like peanuts and a promise every day I would show up and I'd be and and there were only really two points there that are worth mentioning. One was I loved it and I was so happy and I felt like I was making a difference and but I was also not making any money and we I got married young we had kids young so I was I was a mom by the time I was 21 and I had like real you know real heavy responsibilities there and so I taught myself how to trade stock options to be able to fund my lifestyle and to be able to stay at the job that I that I really loved at that point um and then as time went on I did not love it. I really had outgrown it and it was really becoming a drag on my entire being. <laughs> my yeah. whole self hated it. Not yeah. hated, not hated it. I just out, outgrew it. And I remember I was whining one day to my mom and she was like, well, you already taught yourself how to trade stock options. Why don't you just pass the series seven and like be a financial advisor? And I was like, well, all right, mom, that sounds like a good idea. And so I got all my licenses and uh, I started working for like a major brokerage firm. And that was, that was all right. I was reasonably successful there. And I ended up with another opportunity to go independent where I could do a lot more planning work mm-hmm. and work with people's cash flow and be able to, to get paid for it at the brokerage, at the big brokerage firm. That wasn't really, it wasn't really a thing. Yeah. And so I started working with because so here here's where this started is my clients were coming to see me these are smart successful people uh and they were were having problems like my credit card debt is from my first marriage or my kids are about to go to school and I'm still paying on my own student loans or even sometimes young people coming to see me like hey I got this first real job I'm making real money I have no idea what to do with it And so I was spending a lot of time solving problems with my clients that were not questions uh, like what would be the best investment? How could I build my investment objectives? And so I started working with clients on, uh, you know, on financial plans, budgets, money mindset, uh, habits, emotional intelligence around money. And once I got to that point, I was, I just love it. It makes me so happy. So I started my own business, uh, I think just about seven years ago at this point, I started, well, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Um, And that was, and then I started Cash Confident. And so now we have courses and a membership. I've mastermind for ladies in business and it's, it's just delightful. It makes me happy every day. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And and I did read that on your website too, that you saw that people, most of people's problems were not around investing side. It was around basically everyday money problems. Right. Um, and like I told you as as well, before we started, you know, a lot of girls listening to this and, and I've been there before too. Again, like I said, I, I always was very adamant about diving into learning the ropes myself. And so when I had very luckily, very little car- credit card debt years ago, I was able to strategize on how to get out of it and whatnot and became debt free. But that being said, I've always heard you know, especially young women, when we love to spend, maybe we live in expensive cities, we don't know how to control our spending or saving. Um, and then of course, end up in a little bit of debt. And so I want to start there because I think that's a frequent problem, but not many people talk about it because it's kind of, you know, people feel embarrassed by it. But again, like you said, it's, it's a common obstacle, but no one's sharing, you know, how to get out of it. Right. So, um, what would you say are some, A, some of the the obstacles you have seen in women who also are going through debt and trying to get out of it? And what are some of the reasons why maybe it's a mindset thing or maybe just 
poor strategy around getting themselves out of whatever debt that looks like. So the biggest mistake that I see with getting out of credit card debt is really rushing to try to get out of it without changing the habits that are underneath it. Mm. So debt is always caused by needing money. Yeah. Right. Like if you had the money, you would have used the money. Right. Um, And so you need the money. And the solution to that in the long term is learning how to have money. And there are mindsets around that where if you don't trust yourself with money or if having a lot of money makes you uncomfortable, or if you think you're bad with money, sometimes you'll, you know, you might get a tax refund or you might get a bonus and then kind of go to yourself. I should do something good with this money before I do something dumb with this money. And so really shifting out of debt, I find the way that has been most effective for my clients is really slowing their role, getting used to using the cash flow that they have and stop habitually using your credit cards. And I'm not at all suggesting that they like cancel their credit cards or anything like that, but stop, you know, using, using their cards for points, stop using their cards. Cause it's like, when you do it habitually, there's, there's a very big distance between where you make a mistake where you overspend, if you will, mm-hmm. and where that payment comes due. Yeah. Like there's like, you know, 30, 45 days. And so there, there's not that immediate feedback loop that's like required yeah. for like active learning. Um, so that's generally the first step. And then from there, it's to really build up your savings habits and get yourself like systematically set up for success you know, let those habit, those new savings habits get solid and then start, you know, and then start shifting some of the focus back on the, like choosing a debt strategy. But for usually for a minute, when somebody's got debt, I'm like, just pay the minimums for a minute. Let's get your habits straightened out. So that way you can do this in a way that's sustainable. Because when, what, what ends up happening when we put all of our cash flow toward debt to try to get out in a hurry, Mm -hmm. is it, then we're two steps forward, two steps back. Cause life is going to come and it's going to be like, Hey girl, mm-hmm. you need snow tires. Mm-hmm. You need a car repair. You know, you need this thing. And if you don't have the money, then you're right back to the credit card. And it's super discouraging right. to watch all your, to watch all of your uh, progress get wiped away. But that's the place where then you still are, you still don't know how to be prepared. Right. So shifting that is what really moves the needle for staying out of debt in the long term. You mentioned systemizing in a way for savings, right? As well in that slow progress. What does that look like? You know, again, I, I talk to a lot of girlfriends of mine and at dinners and, and whatnot. And when we're talking anything related to money, it seems like a lot of people don't have concepts of like just the like the what to do part, right? Whether it's how much of their, you know, salary they should be putting away into like a savings, right? Or whether, or what a high yield savings account looks like and what does that do for them? So these are small things that can you dive into like the systematic aspect of getting that as a habit? Sure. So the thing that I work with clients on is we separate money by purpose rather than by line item. And excuse me, what I teach is how to build a system rather than a budget. And the, the reason that this is, and listen, they do the same thing. So don't get it twisted. I'm not like hating on budgets, but the thing is, is budgets are a plan and a plan is like a nice idea, but a system is something that is vastly more useful because it's built, Yeah, you know, like a plan is something that we have to then execute where when we start to build out a system, we can use some of the advantages of technology. We can use like online banking. We can use a lot of these things that 
that helps be, and I'm, I, I want to just mention this before I get into it. Mm-hmm. All right. So the way that our brain works is when we do the same thing over and over again, our brain is like, Oh, you need a shortcut. Mm-hmm. We'll put in a habit right here. Mm-hmm. The thing about savings habits is for most of us, and for some people, this isn't true, but for, for a lot of people, it is, is, is savings habits are very difficult to manage because you only get the chance to save maybe once every two weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's not often enough to trigger that habit loop. And so every single time it's a conscious decision, which means that your brain is going to be weighing out. All right, well, if we save this, then I can't get those new shoes. Or if I save this, then I can't do that thing. And so then we're going to be constantly, you know, making, making decisions for something that we want to be automatic in the realm of habit where it's, it's just happening. So the, so we separate our money by purpose rather than by line item. So the first place that we want our money to go is to the account that's going to be like the pay yourself first account. This is going to be your investments. Now, if you have a a 401k option or an employer option, that makes this step really, really easy. Mm -hmm. And you want to set that up because this money is is money that you're going to use, you know, to eat food when you're old. And I know that when you're 20 something, you're like, I'm never going to be old. (laughs) But it happens, believe me, because I used to be 20 something. And now I'm like, holy mother of God, I'm going to be old. But like when I was 20, that idea seemed literally preposterous. Is that the word? Like it was the silliest idea ever. I was like, what a silly idea. Yeah. <laughs> Aging. That's not going to happen. Right. And uh, anyways, that's, that's like my little epiphany, but um, that you do in fact get old as you get old. Uh, so anyways, that's, that's a thing where the money that we put away in our twenties, if it's invested, well, you're going to see that money double every, you know, every seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 years. And so that like, so even if you only put, let's just say you could get $10,000 saved in your twenties, right? Well, that money's going to become, you know, 20,000 in your thirties and then 40,000 and then 80,000. So by the time you actually need it and you actually retire, it ends up being a lot of money because you, you had a lot of time. So that's the first place that you want your, your money to go. And, you know, 10% is a, is a great rule of thumb. It's a great percentage. And then that can, you know, if you can't start with 10%, well then start with what you can start with and then increase it from there. Like Mm -hmm. it's more important that you do it and that you build the habit and you become the person who's a saver, you become the person who's an investor rather than like getting it right. Because that's an issue that I see being super damaging people like waiting until they can get it right to get started. And I'm like, just put the $10 away, put the $20 away. It doesn't matter. Just do it because then you're, you know, the next time you get a raise, you can, you can increase it in another little bit. And, but then you, you've already been doing it for years. So you see the progress of it. I feel like a lot of people would now ask the question of, okay, if you have debt versus, so between paying off debt and saving, how does one decide, not, not necessarily decide between the two, but how does one strategize, okay, how much should be going towards paying off the debt and how much should be saving, even if, you, you still have debt to pay off. There's real cash flow issues that need to be considered, but I am of the opinion that you, that the saving should happen before the debt. And here's why is because when I was a financial advisor, Emily, people would come see me and they, they maybe had student loans and they maybe had a mortgage and some credit cards and they, you know, and they had kids and they paid for daycare and they paid for all these, these things. 
And so they would come to see me at 49 years old. Like I'm finally debt free. I'm ready to start saving for retirement. I'm like, you have, there's nothing, there's nothing I can do to help you at that point. There's you're on the edge of eating cat food in old age. And that's serious. And that is a real thing that happens to people. And you have 11 years to, to save millions of dollars and you make a hundred grand a year. Wow. That's actually. There's like, and there's there, the level of solutions wow. goes drastically down. So here's the thing that I would love to impress upon yeah. the this audience is that what you have is more important than what you don't owe. Okay. What you have, the wealth that you have is way more important. And believe me, you can be wealthy and still carry a credit card debt the same way you can be healthy with 10 extra pounds. Like you, it's, you do not have like the, one of the biggest lies that's out there about money is that you need to be credit card debt free to be able to like start doing this. It's absolutely not true. And in many, many cases, it's a wildly damaging and unhelpful because you never get your twenties back. Mm -hmm. You never get the time for that extra double. Yeah. So the money that you don't save in your 20s, by the time you need that money, it's the difference between 80 and 160,000. It's not the difference between the 20% you would have paid on $10,000 of credit card. Yeah, debt. yeah. Are you with me? Does I that am. make sense? And, I'm and, sorry, can you, can you explain? Because I can imagine for those who didn't catch that, we're talking a little bit about compound interest here on like when you're saving and but not just saving it in like a basic savings account, right? Can you dive into like saving and investing long term versus just putting away saving for like you know three months of cash, for example? Yes, perfect. Such a good question, and I totally assume yeah. the level of knowledge yeah. there. I mean, so I was able to catch that, but I know yeah. listeners are might be like, "Wait, how does eighty double to one hundred sixty in right?" All right, you know? so. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Yes, so your your investment accounts, the money, I mean, you yes. would need to have the money invested. Um, so when you have money in your 401k, or you have money in an IRA, or you have money in a brokerage account, this is the place where you are able to buy stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and that's those things grow over time. Um, and I would say also, you do not have to become an expert in these things. Like if you have a workplace plan, it comes with an, a, an investment advisor. And most of these funds that are available, they have what's called target date funds, where they're going to mix up an asset class that's appropriate for your age and your level of risk. So it'll be like, you know, it'll be like the uh, I don't know, the 2050 retirement, you know, at, at a medium uh, risk tolerance, yep. and that will be an asset class. So it's worth knowing, it's worth reading a book or two about, it's worth taking a class or two about, so you have enough confidence to be able to manage a conversation with your investment advisors and your tax accountants. So that way you could be the quarterback of this very important part of your life, but you do not need to be an expert. And I would also highly encourage anybody that's like him and Han about it, like pay your advisor. Cause sometimes people say something, people get nuts about paying for financial advice. And I'm like, you pay your hairstylist, you pay yeah. your, like you pay a dog groomer, you, you pay for sandwich services, like just, services. just pay your financial advisor. Cause, because they, they villainize the in the news where they take the fee that your investment advisor makes and then they compound it when I'm like, well, it's just an interesting idea. It's like, 
Well, when you get your hair cut, if I compounded the interest of every haircut I've ever had, I could be a bazillionaire, but it's like, well, then I wouldn't have had my haircut also. So anyways, I'm just where I'm going with this is you can get, you can pay for financial advice and that is fine. Mm -hmm. Like you can get an investment advisor and pay commissions Mm -hmm. um, or pay, you know, somebody to give you guidance on this. If you don't have the time, energy, or interest, to be honest, to become like a stock market Mm -hmm. guru yourself, like you still can have good investments. So someone, let's say 24 right now, right. And let's say they do have an employer um, where they offer the 401k. So let's say now they're like, all right, so they have that part rolling out and they recognize, okay, this is something my parents advise. This is something I heard on the podcast as well. I'm going in this direction. How about the, what's your take on personal savings? Let's say they're putting it in a high yield savings account and they need this for like, you know, that recommendation of ideally, let's say three months of, of emergency funds or whatever that looks like. Can you dive into that part? Because again, I think that's something where a lot of people are like, okay, what, what's my goal, right? And, and again, I think this is also diving into financial goals, whether it's short-term, long-term. A, do you have a recommendation of ideal cash savings, if you will? And secondly, how a young woman working right now, let's say making, I don't know, 70K a, a year, like how can she work towards that? All right, I just want to say first, I've seen thousands and thousands of people financially naked and the number of people I've seen with the six months of savings in cash on hand, is not that many. So that is a common goal that people put out there. And that's another place where people talk, oh, I'm not going to invest until I have six months of of, uh, income, you know, set aside. And I'm like, that is a massive, massive financial goal. And I'm not discouraging anybody from going toward it. Like put put some money aside for a rainy day. It gives you a lot of freedom if you ever need to change jobs, especially if it's a toxic situation, especially if, you know, if you need to switch houses, if you need to move out of a roommate situation or, you know, move out of a a marriage or move, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a, it's a great level of security to have. Um, And it is also something that might be years in the making with consistency yeah. and very low levels of emergency. And it may be, right. so I just want to put that into context because that's a thing that people talk about a lot. And I'm like, you can be very financially healthy. You do need to have savings and we'll talk about that more in a second. Um, but the three to, and three to six months is a, it's, it is a great goal. It's just people yeah. where I think it becomes not a, not a problem. It's just people will be like, I've been working on this forever. And it's, but, and I'm like, yeah, that's a really big goal. Like that was going to yeah. take a minute. So we just want to yeah. make sure because other, here's where I'm going with this is our level of self-trust with our money, yeah. our level of feeling like we're doing it right matters so much to our decision-making. Like it's, it's super, super important. So things that lend itself to a lot of second guessing or a lot of disappointment or a lot of discouragement or feeling like I'm not getting this right. I'm doing it wrong. Like that's an emotional place. That's super unhelpful for long-term financial success. Mm. But I think to answer your question, yeah, setting aside a certain amount of money. And then if you were having that kind of money, 
where you're planning on on not using it, it's just going to be a straight emergency fund. You you asked earlier about high yield savings accounts. A high yield savings account is a it's a cash account. You know the money's not exactly invested, but you're, the bank is mm-hmm. going to pay you a higher level of interest than you would get in say like a checking account. Um, so it's yeah. not really a wealth building. It's not really wealth building, but it is better yeah. than like it's better than having the money in your safe, or it's better than having you know money under the mattress or in your checking account. Totally. And you mentioned, and, and and definitely something that I understand as well too, which is of course, three, six months of just cash savings, like, you know, just, just money saved up where it's not invested is a very difficult long-term goal, but of, of what you've worked with clients and, and just observations, what would you say is a genuinely realistic savings amount for someone listening right now they're like okay i get it like obviously six months is a stretch but where is a good relative target that i can aim for because they recognize hey maybe i have zero in savings right now and i want to work towards something but sometimes it's just hearing these different markers and finding the sweet spot of what works for them all right so uh, when we're talking about savings, I suggest three separate savings habits. So we have planting. So we already discussed that. So it's retirement money. That's money that's going to bear fruit one day. Then we have preparing. Yep. And so that's what we'll talk about next. And then there's pleasure. So yep. True. preparing, this is the way that I suggest uh, people do it is to, you know, to grab a piece of paper, a pen and start to look at all of your irregular expenses that you're going to need in the next 12 months. And so that might be things like, uh, like I get car taxes twice a year, or there's certain kinds of insurances that people pay twice a year, or, you know, annual expenses, like your Amazon Prime membership, if you pay annually. Um, yeah. You know, you so look for all of your non-monthly but totally regular bills. So, so they're, we'll call them irregular bills, but it's the non-monthly stuff. And total that up for the year. And then you want to look for your life for any foreseeable disasters. If you're like, wow, my car is a straight POS. This thing is going to need to be replaced pretty soon. I should get together a down payment, you know, or Mm -hmm. uh, I see that my lease is ending and I need to move out of this. You know, I'm going to move. I need to move house, Mm -hmm. you know, next year. All right. What am I going to need? So you start to look you start to look for that in the next 12 months and then, you you know, you total, you total it up. And then you start to look for any family obligations that you have that are really non-negotiable. So let's say you got a brother getting married and that requires, you know, a dress, hair, makeup, a flight, a gift, you know, and it's going to be a couple thousand dollar expenditure. Um, You know, or if you have a, a parent that lives you know, someplace and you need plane tickets. That's, that's the sort of thing. And then any irregular self-care, anything that you wouldn't put in, you know, monthly or bi-weekly. So I used to be blonde every other month I would go and it was a couple hundred dollars, you know, I would go and yeah. it was a couple hundred dollars, but it wasn't like perfectly regular. Like I, I would do my best to stretch it out maybe nine, <laughs> maybe nine weeks. Right. Yes. So your irregular self-care. And so you start Mm -hmm. to look at the total on that and that's, Mm -hmm. then you divide that by your number of paychecks and that's how much money needs to go into being prepared every month. And if you have a really strong cash flow, then you can put a little extra and build yourself a little buffer, but that account being prepared, that's what prevents financial emergencies. It's like most of the thing that creates financial emergencies and why people love to have emergency funds. I'm like, you could have seen that coming and like 
We could have mm-hmm. we could have seen the snow the the car repairs coming, right. and the right. reason that I really love being prepared is because then it's not an emergency. It's not an yeah. emergency. It's just a thing. Like so, listen. For example, yesterday I got my my husband hurt his arm this weekend, and we need to pay for medical care, and right. we got the thing, and I was like, all right, well, I have the money. There's no emergency. There's no problem. There's no stress. It's like, I can literally write the check and take care of it. But if I didn't have the money, if I didn't have that money, it would be a massive emergency because it is a high urgency situation. Right. And so that's the place where being prepared really like makes you feel more safe in your relationship with money. And then we want to put money aside for like our upgrades for our new, our new stuff, like better apartments, you know, better vacations, travel, you know, whatever floats your boat, whatever's important to you. So planting, preparing pleasure. And then that, once you have that account that prepared, like your preparing account really doing well, then that's the place where you can start being prepared for opportunities of that, th- you know, that's the place where you can start being prepared with that three to six months of expenses, um, which could be preparation again to like leave a job or move out of a situation, or it could just be like, hey, I came across this really great real estate deal. Do you want to be my business partner in it? You know, and you need yeah. to have the cash on hand. So I always like the idea of being like prepared for the things that you definitely need, but then being prepared for opportunities is like the thing that I like beyond that, more so than just like three to six months of savings. It's a fine, it's a fine goal. It's just, that's not the sort of thing that lights people up, but the lighting, but the being lit up is what actually gets the goal done. Right. So you're like reframing it here in your mind. And and I like that you broke it down on like those different examples and different areas of life. Cause I think that is more practical. I think the one thing that is hard for young women is understanding though, Maybe like what is a realistic time frame just to build that, right? Again, not saying there's like an end cap of, okay, once I have 10,000 in my savings account, I'm good to go, right? But it, it's more of like, okay, they recognize, let's say they are actually adding up on that uh, irregular non-monthly uh, expenses and they're they're seeing it actually written out of how much all these expenses are because a lot of people don't actually write these down, right? So, so they finally do and they're like, okay, how do I start building? Like, what is a realistic time frame? Because you alluded to earlier, it does take a while to actually, if I mean, if someone's really trying to be audacious and building towards six months, that takes a long, long time to get towards. But what, can you share some insight into, you know, just so they're more comfortable with like, okay, this is actually the reality, how long it may take to kind of get towards building that kind of that level of buffer. So that working capital account where I was talking about the the thing is is it's it's you're going to use the money. Like yeah. you know that you're going to use it. So it's it's more about having the habit in place so that yeah. way every time the paycheck comes you put the money aside and then you you are going to do that forever because as long as yeah. you're alive you're going to need to be like projecting these expenses out. So you it's that's not a place where you may if you have a, a year where maybe you only needed oil changes and there was nothing else wrong with your car and you thought your brother was getting married but something happened and you have the two grand extra now right <laughs> like um right. you know where where you can get ahead on that like you can be far ahead but it's 
money that's already earmarked. So it's not really a place where you're going to see accumulation. You will see accumulation, but it's not really a place where you're going to be accumulating. So the expectation around that is more that you're going to do it and that you're going to watch it build up and then you're going to need it and you're going to watch it go down. And the thing that's important to stay focused on is that you stay consistent with the savings, like that you are somebody who is perpetually prepared. Um, So I'm not, did that answer your question? Did I get to what you were, what you were going for? There. Yeah. And especially it's right because I was thinking about how it is a habit. And for me, I probably kind of skipped over that part because for me, it's mentally already a habit, but I forget that sometimes not everyone has already implemented a habit. But, you know, I think sometimes it is intimidating when people go from trying not saving at all yet but maybe trying to go to 20%, right? Because their friend who's been doing, right? So that's why I'm glad that you said earlier, like, you know, whatever is is best, like at least you start, right? Like start with the habit of just doing it and then you can build up. And to me, I, I think of it as even with like, I don't know, going to, to a workout. Some people go, all right, I haven't, I don't do any, any week yet. And so I'm going to go zero to five days a week. It's like, that's quite too much of a change, right? So that, that can be hard. Yeah. So, and I will say when you run your cash flow, you may see that number and be like, I can't do that. And that's okay. Yeah. Just get started with what you can do because it's still going to be better. It's still going to reduce your level of financial emergencies. It's still going to serve you. And then again, when you, you will be amazed. There's something very magical and stuff. Like I will tell you that when you start to systemize your money, more money yeah. just shows up and it doesn't make any like logical sense. And if I didn't do this all day, every day, I wouldn't probably, I'd probably feel like a weirdo to say it, but I'm telling you that when you start putting the money aside for your investments, because what it, what it really is, is you having power over money instead of money having power over you. And when you have power yeah. over your money and then you're like, and I want to go on vacation, I'll tell you bonuses show up. The Somebody gives you a gift, like you get free plane tickets, your point, you know, like stuff happens when you have power over money rather than money having power over you. So all of the, the reasons to not do it, it's not going to be perfect. I'm not going to get it right. Just get started with where you are because it's, again, it it becomes part of your identity on that identity Mm -hmm. level. It's like, I do the things that are good with money. I'm good with money. I am a saver. I am prepared. All of that becomes part of like who you are. And that changes, that changes everything. Yeah. And what you're saying reminds me a bit of just mindset around money and like reframing it. And and to me, especially as someone that is a big believer in just energy, right? It's, it's, It's just a lot of, um, in my eyes, a lot of like attraction and, you know, not attracting it. And I I saw that you also uh, talk a lot about money mindset and for women breaking the cycle or pattern of I'm broke or I can't get to that level. Can you dive into that a little bit of like what you see often is maybe a common, um, you know, belief that is not true that women tend to attach themselves to and, and then what happens when they do break out of that pattern or belief of I'm broke? I would start looking you. The thing that has to happen is you have to start paying attention to your thoughts. Yeah. So you kind of have to start to be aware of what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And so anything that you say, that's an, I am statement, Mm -hmm. it's not, 
to, all right, so we have our conscious mind. That's our prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain that went to college. It's the part of your brain that can read a spreadsheet. Yeah. Then we have our subconscious brain. And our subconscious brain is in charge of our body movement. It's in charge of our emotions. So look at right now, I'm, you're not, if you're listening, you can't see, but I'm moving my hands around. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not consciously saying, move my hands around self. We need to move this up and down. It's just like a thing I wanted to do. And then it just happened. Yeah. So the subconscious mind is where your core beliefs are. It's where your identity is and even though like there are some parts of that that may make it to the conscious mind most of that is going to be beneath the surface in your subconscious so your belief structures around money are mainly going to be formed from the things that you saw heard uh and experienced in your early childhood years so the first like 10 years of your life you basically learn like almost everything that you need to know to be a human on this planet Mm -hmm. money being one of them Mm -hmm. and those are things that were not questioned because we we don't question because our prefrontal cortex isn't online so when you're like six years old and your mom pulls money out of the atm you're like cool you stick your card in there you get money out and you just take it at face value and she may say you might have watched her take the money out and then have her tell you i don't have money (laughs) And be like literally baffled. Yeah. It's funny if you've ever tried to explain that you don't have money for that to a small child (laughs) who knows that you have money. They're like, well, you just take out your blue card, mom. Like I saw you with your debit card, right? So I am statements. When you say I am broke or I am bad at money or I am this, those are not observations of your like the way that your subconscious mind receives that is as command, as as instruction, not as so like sometimes we will just joke with ourselves. And like for years, I would say things like I'm such a hot mess. I'm a disaster. But that was a command. And so those years of my life, dude, I was 10 minutes late. I had coffee on my blouse. Like I dropped my I dropped my stuff on the way in the door because that was the truth of what I was commanding for myself. So when you, so if you have anything on that I am level, that is an identity level statement and you wanna be shifting that to something way better. And sometimes that can make us feel like a liar or feel really like icky in our body dissonant. So just remind yourself, it's not that it's true now, it's that it's a command. It is what I'm becoming. So like, if you're saying to yourself, I'm broke, like, stop that, like immediately stop that. That is, that is not something that you want to be saying. Like, and I will also say this is that women are really hard on, we're really hard on ourselves. And so one of the activities I have clients do all the time is I'm like, especially when somebody's like, I'm so bad at money. And I'm like, are you really though? Like, why don't you write down on your list of good things that you do with your money, the list of places that you're responsible, the wise choices that you made, the things that you take care of. And then why don't, why don't we write down your bad choices next to it? And they'll have bad choices this big. And, you know, like, I'm just like a little bit and, you know, lines and lines of good choices. And it's like, let's just keep this in perspective. Like, we don't need to be perfect to be good at money. Like, you don't need to be perfect. So anyways, so on that mindset stuff, the mindset work is something that you will do forever. It's not a thing that you will, like, start and complete, even though I for sure thought, (laughs) I for sure thought that I was going to be enlightened by the time I was 32 because I went to a Tony Robbins event and I read a few books. I remember I, I was I was working with a, a coach at the time and he was like, yeah, so I'm going to finish this book and then I'll probably just be enlightened. And she like laughed at me, like, like a really like good belly laugh. And I was like, why are you laughing? She was like, oh, you were not kidding. And I was like, no, 
I was not kidding. I was certain that when I finished this book, I would just be self-actualized. She was like, oh, girl, <laughs> no, no, you're not self-actualized and you will not be self-actualized at the end of that book. And I was like, devastated. And so anyways, mindset work, like the things that I would be paying attention to for mindset work, there's going to be the skills to keep up on it. It's how to break a limiting belief, how to balance a judgment, how to shift your perception, how to reframe something. Like that's the place where you have a lot of control over the way that you see the world and how your reality, like how you experience your reality. Those are the places, um, you know, to work on. But first and foremost, any I am statements that are not even just about money, but even if you say it's, I'm a hot mess or I'm a disaster, like stop that, stop that immediately. Cause those are just commands. Those are commands for tomorrow. Yeah. And, and I definitely agree with you on that too, especially because I've utilized that myself in, in recognizing that whatever I speak to myself about myself, I will just believe that, like, especially if I say it over and over again, if I were to say, oh, I'm broke or I'm a hot mess, like, right. It's like you, you keep feeding yourself that information and slowly your brain just like takes that in and you just start to embody it. Right. So I can imagine that goes the same with, you know, as, as you acknowledge that you are great with money or you do make positive choices with your money. Right. Um, that also shifts your belief in, again, this is definitely from personal experience in being savvy enough with money. I think as you, I'm sure you've seen women tend to maybe not have the same belief as men do about around, Oh, I can be smart with my money. Right. I think there's like, that's like stupid stereotype. I'm obviously like not for that, but it's, it's that thing where I think when women hear that conversation around it, that, Hey, like you, you're just having self-limiting beliefs around your ability to be savvy with your money, right? It's it's not like one or the other. And so, I don't know, I, I always emphasize, like I think it's important for other people to hear that and find it encouraging when I've heard it myself, like, hey, like it's, it's your own self-limiting belief around what you can and can't do. 100%. So shifting your belief structures, that's very, very important, especially as things come up like wanting to make more money, Right. But those are places where then we have to really examine our belief structures or, uh, you know, a lot of belief structures will show up when you get it, when you move in with somebody like a romantic partner or when you get married or, you know, when you finish school and you start working. Those are all places where different, you know, different sets of belief structures can come online. So those are things that you just want to stay on top. You just want to become aware. And then we can just question it. Was this even true? This is. Is this true? Is this mine? And then from there, you can can decide, oh, that that belief is too small for me. Some final questions I have, uh, one of them being around if if you were to share with your younger self, uh, let's say when you were 25, what are three tips or just insights you would share now knowing when it, when it comes to money, whether it's like spending, saving investing, getting out of debt, uh, creating, you know, various financial goals, whatever that looks like, what would you share with your younger self around that? You know, even though I heard the advice when I was younger, I actually didn't start saving to invest until a little bit later. And that's, that's a place that I really wish that I had that that's a place. And I knew better. I will tell you, I knew better. And I just didn't think I could do it. I had 
money had so much power over me. I was so afraid that I wasn't going to have enough. And it was a very visceral, like I had a lot of scarcity um, around my, around my money. So I wish that that was something that if I could go back and tell my younger self, I would have been like, I would have said, get your, get your power back over money and start use it, like start wielding your money powerfully to create the thing that you, that you want. Um, so I guess that's really too. So I would say like, I had to, to really look at the places that money has power over my decision-making, really look at the places where money has power over my thinking or my actions and call that back and see what shifts I can make with that. And then I would say about the the savings and start just start investing earlier. And I would probably tell myself to just be, be a little bit nicer about my spending. You know, I was really, really highly critical of my spending and I thought I was doing everything wrong. And every time I spent money, I thought I was, I was just hard on myself and it really detracted a lot of joy out of my life. You know, I really spent a lot of time and energy justifying my my wants into needs, you know, where I'm like, oh, I really just want this thing, but I can't just buy what I want. So I'm going to waste my energy justifying this purchase to myself by like mentally making it into a need. And it was so exhausting and also just so low vibe, like buying what you want is so much higher vibe than buying, you know, just what you need, even though buy what you need first. And so I think that's another thing I would tell myself is to like, just be gentle and just like trust myself. Cause I was well into my thirties before I really learned to trust myself, even though I was trustworthy the whole time. Ooh, that's really good. Those three. Wow. That's super powerful. I'm, I'm honestly taking that in. Huh. Um, any book recommendations that you have found useful, whether it's on life wisdom financial aspects or relationships, whatever, any book recommendations that come to mind? Well, my book, Cash Confident, will be out next year. Uh, so it's not out today. I, I don't even have a page to send you to. The public. <laughs> We're early in the publishing phases, but my book, Cash Confident, will be out next year. Um, you know, one of my favorite books on personal development and one that I probably, the one that I recommend to my all of my clients is Existential Kink by Dr. Carolyn Elliott. Okay. Uh, that book is a, that book really tied together a lot of oh, just so much juicy stuff for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked, so if I had a book recommendation, that's, that's one of my go-tos. That's one of my favorites. Wow. And that's a personal, ref, that's like personal reflection and it helps on patterns. Uh, and it helps on like the, the regular human experiences that we don't like that come up all the time. Yeah. I guess it's, it's pro- so it's not a, it's not a money book, although there is a chapter on, on scarcity in the book and okay. I just loved it. Awesome. Awesome. We always link book recommendations in our Instagram stories. Um, so we'll definitely be saving that, but last and final question, something I ask every guest on the show, but in reflection of your experience with your career and, you know, your marriage and, and relationships and everything you've experienced over the years, what would you say ultimately fulfills you in life? You know, I feel like just my damn self. Like I, uh, I was not always, I was actually not good at this until very, very recently, but I feel like just being willing to see my wonder and my adorableness and like my skills and talents and generosity for what it is has been so 
juicy for my life. Like I'm so much happier now than I've ever been really just, uh, kind of giving just like being that for myself and not really want, I mean, I'm fulfilled in my work. I'm fulfilled in my marriage. I'm fulfilled in my motherhood, but I think really, really looking at that from like, ah, like, I'm just so satisfied with me. Um, as, as, probably the game changer on my level of success and happiness yeah like an internal process like internalizing that yeah yeah just being like good enough like like it's it's like a little state of gratification to where it's like good enough now and more evolution like it's good now and more growth like so it's not like satisfaction where we're stopping but it's like being able to hold the place in both where I get to really be like really fulfilled with where I am and yet really still kind of craving more and being able to hold both of those things for me has been like, it's really good. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. And and I've always been an advocate for, um, you know, I I hate this term nowadays, sometimes overused, but in a way, self-love and also recognizing you are enough and you're also always going to grow. And as you grow, it's also a new version and and better version of yourself. And you're going to also need to appreciate that as well. Well, thank you so much, Brie, for hopping on and sharing your wisdom today. Where can everyone find you and learn more about Cash Confident if they want to join your community? Perfect. Yeah. So I have uh, the Cash Confident with Brie Sedano podcast, and then I'm Cash Confident Community on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go to my website, which is cashconfident.com, we have some free resources that are available for download and you could get onto my website or, you know, like onto my mailing list for those things. So, you know, I'm on the internet and all the places that you would look for somebody cash confident or cash confident community. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that was all for today's episode with Brie, the founder of Cash Confident. If you enjoyed this episode, learned something new, please be sure to share this with a friend, post this on your Insta story, tag at what fulfills you or my personal Insta at Emily E. Duong. I love that you guys have been sharing with me your Spotify wrapped and just always so grateful to see that you guys have been listening over the years. And I'm just so excited for what's to come in this upcoming year. I have a lot of new things for the What Fulfills You community, including some in-person things here in New York City. So again, thank you so, so much for your support. And I will chat with you all in the next one. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.